Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Boats and Pros, or if this is your first time tuning in, welcome to Boats and Pros. I'm your host, Brooks Clark, and it has been a little while since we did this last, but, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, so here we are. Hope you all miss me. I know I missed all of you, and the holiday season has that goes, you know. Anyway, moving on, we got a great show for you today. We got uh, new Tulane University head sailing coach Charles Higgins to talk about, uh, you know, how to build a program from scratch and his whole process and how he's going to make Tulane sailing, uh, bring it to the forefront of the college sailing circuit. And then we also have a recurring guest, Dylan Pava. Uh, he and I, we talked, you know, just a little college sailing preview, what's shaking up there in the Mesa district, some team racing stuff, and then uh, we talk a little bit about fashion in the sailing industry these days. So uh, it's a fun one, a little bit longer than normal. So we're going to head and roll right into it. Let's boogie. <clears throat> we are joined now by Charles Higgins, the recently appointed head coach of the Tulane sailing team. Charles, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, uh, yeah, I guess just getting right to the nitty-gritty of it, um, Tulane, a phenomenal school down there in New Orleans, now has a varsity sailing team. So you were formerly the assistant sailing coach at Old Dominion University, under the working under the tutelage of ICSA president Mitch Brindley. Um, talk a little bit about the process. Like, How did you know you wanted the Tulane job? Did they reach out to you, or have you always had aspirations to – be a head coach yourself? Um, you know, a little bit of everything. I guess, um, you know, I, I don't know that too many people want to be an assistant coach forever. And uh, <laughs> certainly becoming a head coach at a great program was something I've always wanted to get to. Um, but I wanted to make sure it was going to be the right move at the right time. Um, you know, I can't say enough about how great it was to be able to work uh, for Mitch over the last 10 seasons. Um, it's, you know, really easy to take for granted working with someone like that who you get to learn from every day has had a wealth of experience obviously been in the game for a couple decades now um and you know being in that situation really helped to guide me to a point where i am now where i feel like i can certainly manage a program and make it successful um as far as tulane um you know i'd heard through the grapevine last spring that this could be coming and being from the south uh texas myself um, you know, around here, there's not really many varsity programs and kids from this area in this region, if they really want to take their sailing to another level, they're probably going to have to go to the East coast or maybe somewhere on the West coast to do that in college. And so, you know, I was no stranger to that myself, did the same thing until I ended up at Old Dominion in the first place as an undergrad. Um, and so when I heard that this was an opportunity here at such a great institution already, um, it just jumped out of me. And so I, you know, I had my resume and cover letter just sitting, waiting to go. And, uh, when, the, when the release happened, it was probably about a day before I, uh, submitted my resume and cover letter to, uh, the assistant, um, athletic director here, Monica LeBron. Yeah, we actually, uh, I, I had a couple, I guess last episode now, which was almost a couple of months ago, geez, uh, I had Troy Dan and the, the, the athletic director on. And he was just uh, very excited and complimentary of what the program would be capable of doing, and he knew he was going to get a good hire. Yeah, and you know, I had a lot of enjoyment listening to that uh, podcast as well. Oh, um, great. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you brought up an interesting point, though, just how 
college sailing seems to be so predominant on particularly the East Coast. Sure, there's the Stanford, Stanford's of the world out West, but um, what, what, I mean, how, is it just kind of been a product of the system, how there really isn't any dominant sailing schools or any strong programs down there on the Gulf Coast? Because like you said, so many great sailors come from New Orleans, Texas, the Galveston area, and even on the Florida Gulf Coast. So um, I know, do you think that it's just been a lack of really fully well-funded programs or just the uh, uh, lack of just institutional support? It's it's a good question. Honestly, it's tough for me to put a really good finger on it because I think a lot of it started to happen before I even came along in college sailing where I think you started seeing a lot of schools on the East Coast really start to take sailing more seriously. Um, and I don't mean the programs themselves. I mean the actual schools. And some of that was in financial support and also in other ways of supporting through athletic departments with various resources. And you know, there was a time 20, 30 years ago where club teams and varsity teams truly could compete at the same level, and that's just not the case anymore. You know, every couple of year, every year you're going to have a couple teams that are in the top 10 or maybe knocking on the door, but realistically, if you're not a varsity program right now, you're not going to be at the top of the game. And I think that's something that the East Coast schools got in on, and a lot of the central schools and some of the schools out west uh, some some of it, you know, on their own decided that wasn't the direction they wanted to go. They wanted to keep the club atmosphere, and that certainly seems to be pretty prevalent in this region. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think any time a school is dedicated to putting forth those resources, then that gives any school the opportunity to be able to compete at that next level. And that's what Tulane wanted, and that's what we're going to make happen. Great. So do you have, like, I, I know we've been trying to set this interview, and you've been having... You're literally just arriving in New Orleans and still probably has several boxes in, in your home, but uh, you need to unpack. But do you have you obviously you put a little bit of thought into it, but anything you could share as far as what you like an expectation on how you how to build a sailing program from scratch? You know, there's not exactly a blueprint for it. Um, and so a lot of this is just going to kind of be my own decision <laughs> a little bit. And I will say, you know, um, John Pierce, uh, former head coach at uh, George Washington University, mm-hmm. did a similar transition a few years ago. Right. And he was one of the first people I called. Um, you know, really pick his brain not only on some of the you know, financial si- you know, situations that come up as far as fundraising, being what, what a realistic budget needs to be, but also how the team needs to be able to interact and grow because it is really important. And I, I truly believe this, that the current team members are vital to – the transition to this going forward. There's mm-hmm. still a culture that needs to persist um, of what a Tulane student is. And everyone who's on the team now came here for a reason. They really love this school. And that part absolutely has to be carried forward. And so, you know, one, one thing I've had one full team meeting so far, and one thing I told them was that, you know, I'm not going to cut anybody based on their ability. There's just a lot of responsibilities that student athletes regardless of their sport, have to have at a varsity level. And so long as they're willing to do that, I'm happy to have them on the team because that's the type of student athlete that we really need. Right. I've had, uh, I think we've had John Foudre at uh, Jacksonville and Julia Weisner as well as John Pierce on on this. And I think I've asked each of them the question, how do you feel about, I feel like there are on these clubs, or I guess now former club teams, uh, a lot of sailors, 
had the appeal they wanted to go to that school because of the club atmosphere, maybe a little less serious. Do you worry that I sounds like kind of just and you, you said in your first team meeting talking about how, you know, we're not going to cut anybody based off ability, but it's more of an attitude thing. And like you said, just now that you're a, a student athlete representing the school, do you think that might, you don't want to say weed anybody out, but do you think that might, you know, some people might take that to heart and maybe decide it's not for them? Uh, I think that's already happened. Um, and, and to be fair, there's nothing wrong with that either way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those, those kids came, again, came to school because they wanted the club atmosphere and they didn't want the varsity atmosphere. Maybe they could have gone to a school of a similar academic caliber that had sailing as a varsity sport and they could have been on the team and they simply chose not to. You know, and it, it's not as though there aren't still sailing opportunities in the area. Mm-hmm. And it's not as though they still can't have a great experience at the school. Um, but like any varsity sport, again, there's simply going to be, there's going to be some expectations going forward and we have to follow them. We, we can't, we can't ever have our sport be the exception. We need to, if you want to be treated like other sports, you have to first treat yourself like the other sports. And that's going to be a little tougher for some than others. And some of the current team members are really excited. This is something they really want. And so, you know, I'm excited for them going forward as well. Yeah, I think I think that's in that ODU. I was definitely admired about you guys' program. You're always very much in sync with the rest of the varsity, uh, with the rest of the varsity programs at Old Dominion. So I think if you're probably going to be able to bring that same culture and mentality and uh, definitely instill that on the team. I certainly hope so. <laughs> so as far as um, I think Troy kind of touched on it a little bit, but so you guys are going to be sailing out. Just there's a little. Don't you guys have some dock space right there next to Southern Yacht Club, how I understand it? Yeah, so the team currently has uh, a fleet of boats and some floating docks that are pretty new that uh, Southern Yacht Club uh, helped out with. And they're currently over at the New Orleans Yacht Club. Um, The area that uh, Tulane has used in the past is about to go under a pretty big construction project where they're going to be essentially rebuilding the bulkhead right there. Then they'll bring the docks over with the boats, have them there. And then next year they'll be doing construction on the new boathouse. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, maybe 100 yards away from uh, Southern Yacht Club. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and then from, an, from an exposure standpoint for the program, I know everybody, everybody's everybody got a great Charles Higgins story, I know. <laughs> you certainly seem to have, you know, definitely been a part of the lives of a lot of at least my peers um but you definitely I, I think last over the summer you did the boosted tour for the first time correct yes how uh talk, first of all i guess for some from some of the listeners that might not know what the boosted tour is uh what what is it i know it's a it's a collegiate challenge against the british sailing teams but is there's obviously much more to it than that yeah so it's um you know, every two years um the, the British side and the American side put together sort of an all-star team to compete against each other. And, you know, we'll go over there, and then two years later they'll come here. And this was our turn to go over. And, you know, I kind of volunteered as tribute, um, but I really wanted to. It was something I always kind of wanted to be a part of. Um, and just the schedule worked out this year, and I was able to do it. And so um, back in the spring I found out that I was – uh, being selected as the team leader, and so we got to, you know, submit have people submit for, uh, you know, resumes and applications and send them in to me, and I 
looked at everyone and I tried to select the best team that I thought with the, um, you know, with the applicants that were there. And, you know, funny enough, you, you wouldn't actually find a very many, you know, multiple or full All-Americans on the list, but I selected a team that I thought would work really well together, mm-hmm. uh, particularly being in close, uh, close proximity to each other for about three weeks, <laughs> tra- traveling all over and, and having some van issues and transportation problems and sometimes not knowing where you're going to be in a couple of days. And so, you know, I'd heard stories from previous tours about how sometimes things just might be up in the air and you don't know where you're going in an hour from now. And so I needed to make sure that whoever it was was going to be a really good team player. And so with everyone who had applied, I, you know, talked with the coaches, you know, sometimes all the way back to their high school coaches to mm-hmm. see uh, kind of what their personality type might be. Mm-hmm. And that was a little more important to me about than necessarily what their ability was. Right. Because uh, the vast majority of people who applied were really, really excellent applicants. Right. So, you know, and I, I think – I think it worked out. I think we had a really good team. Um, they all seemed to enjoy it. Um, you know, we spent about 10 days driving all over Southern England and competed in five trophy events. Um, you know, four of those were team racing, um, either two on two and keelboat, three on three and firefly. And we also did three on three and laser and we had a match race event. And, you know, we ended up losing the tour, um, three to two on the trophy events but it was really, really tight. Um, and in fact, we almost had the two were locked up early, um, in the, uh, two on two keelboat event, but, uh, that was a really highly contested event. Um, and, uh, I know some of the, some of the team members probably still weren't too happy about that result, but, uh, <laughs> you know, overall it was a great, great tour. And it's definitely something ICSA should be promoting to do, um, in the future. Um, and then this year for the first time, it just happened to, back up to the Laser Performance Collegiate Cup in Camp, uh, Campione de Garda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we flew from England to Italy, and the team competed for about a week there and ended up coming away with uh, the victory there, which was awesome. So you got a full Euro trip this summer. I didn't know you did the Italy event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, well, in the past, the Busa tour has been about three weeks long, and um, a lot of people were saying that that was probably a bit too much, um, particularly for the limited amount of sailing that was being done at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a lot of money to send the team over, and just so happened this year that it was going to work out really well, and was able to piece together some flights that were not going to break the budget, and secured some housing. And the British helped us out on their end as well. They were actually very hospitable, really made the trip a lot easier. Um, and overall, I think it was a really great experience. And I think the, I think the team that went over is going to look back on that as one of the highlights. Certainly not of just their college career, but probably, hopefully, uh, of their life. How does the Busa Tour differentiate from the Collegiate Cup? The Busa Tour is simply a challenge between the British universities and the American universities and their sailing associations. The collegiate cup is put on by laser performance. They're really trying to build team racing, you know, particularly collegiate style, um, in Europe. And so that one had representation from countries from Japan, Italy, uh, the Netherlands, Germany, Ireland, England, and Austria and 
in the past I've had some other countries that competed as well. And so it was a real international feel and everyone was staying at the same the same place where they had the uh, the Wasp games earlier. Oh yeah, summer, sure. Where it's uh, you know it's half it's half half hostel slash hotel and the other half is uh, a great sailing venue. And so everyone's rigging and waking up in the morning, having breakfast together, all their meals together, all the teams, everyone getting to hang out. And so that kind of made the event even that much more special. It wasn't as though everyone was staying in separate locations and come together during the day just to compete. You know, everyone got a chance to really kind of branch out and network and socialize a bit as well, which I think really makes that event pretty special. Oh, great. great. What sort of uh, – you said you had van troubles yeah. in England though? Yeah, apparently what they refer to as a full-size van is about what we refer to as a minivan. And even if you look online and it says it will seat nine or ten people, a lot of times they're using uh, booking agents that utilize another booking agent and things get lost in translation. And so essentially we ended up with a seven-passenger vehicle for nine. Oh, boy. And, we, uh, and so we just had to you know, use planes, trays, and trains and automobiles to get people around sometimes and the Brits helped us out a lot with the transportation and you know and the team was was really great about it they all took it in stride and it wasn't an ideal situation but it, you know at the end of the day it never prevented us from getting to where we needed to go being on time and enjoying the event was it just um I mean it's, it seems like I mean I don't know if it's just me curmudgeonly getting older but it seems like the average age of Hinman has gone down over the last like you know five or six years that's just because the game is becoming exposed to kids at a younger age and at a much more competitive level or you think the selection committee is hoping to kind of just keep it more of a youthful event um i think it actually goes back to the vanguard 15 um because when that was around there was a stronger team racing circuit that people who were who had graduated were very active in and when that went away you know, people didn't have the ability to borrow boats. There weren't as many events. And so really the only people team racing a lot were college students and coaches and then people doing keelboat team racing events. And you're starting to see a bit of a comeback in the team race events being hosted by universities. I know Old Dominion has one. Eckerd hosted midwinters. Um, you know, Annapolis Yacht Club, SSA, I think, um, do the free state team race. You still have the Charles River Open. Mm -hmm. So there's just been more recently. So I think you're starting to see some of the post-grads come back, except that now the post-grads are people who were the really young ones only a couple of years ago. But I think I think you're going to see that bounce back from being really young to some of these people who are, you know, recently graduated. They're probably going to be sticking around for a while. So, I, you know, it's probably just you know, a bit of a cycle. And it went through the really young phase, and I think over time it'll – kind of bounce back a bit just a bit of like a like a pendulum effect if you will yeah exactly i don't know is there anything that you would want to touch on that we haven't touched on thus far uh you know i'm happy to answer any questions i can about tulane i just moved here on wednesday yeah <laughs> so and i actually i think today um this morning when right after i got up finally got the last box unpacked and i feel like i actually live in my place which will make my dog happy oh perfect what kind of dog do you have uh, as a German Shepherd. Oh, perfect. Um, but yeah, so I guess we can we can start with there. So, so yeah, you you've literally uh, just moved down to New Orleans. Uh, and how was the moving problem? Did you fly? Did you drive? What's it's not quite a cross country move, but that's not a really short move by any means. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I guess the whole process of me getting here uh, was pretty long. Um, I was actually on the Busa tour when I first got an email back uh, from Tulane uh, for, you know, at least doing an initial phone interview. Um, and and then shortly after, uh, about a week after I got back from the tour um, is when I came down for an actual interview. And obviously, you know, moving schools and leaving a team mid-season is not ideal, but it was also going to be unavoidable. Um, and I always kept Mitch at ODU, kept him very well apprised of what was going on. Um, and when I decided to take the job after it was offered, um, I, I can't say enough about, you know, Troy Dan and Monica LeBron here at Tulane. You know, they gave me you know, they gave me a lot of time to work with ODU to make sure the transition went smoothly. So I actually stayed on at ODU for almost a month after accepting the job to where they could have coverage for the regattas on the weekends and mm-hmm. the team and some of the opportunities that they were expecting to have. Um, and, you know, I told the team right after I had accepted it that it was happening, but that, you know, I'd still be on helping out. You know, I wanted to make sure it was good for everybody. And so, you know, really I've known since mid-September, and here we are mid-November, and I just got here. So that took a little bit of time. But fortunately, the you know, Tulane helped out a lot with my moving expenses. And so I was actually able to have movers come and load stuff up into a truck. Wow. And, and they gave me a time frame on when um, whenever everything was going to arrive, which at first is really funny. They told me sometime between the 11th and the 21st of this month. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not like anyone has anything going on. Um, so, um, and that was, you know, shortly after the Henman when they, uh, came and picked my stuff up. So, you know, kind of hung out in Norfolk for a little bit, worked remotely, did some recruiting. And then, uh, once they gave me a, a firmer date on when they were actually going to arrive, then packed up my last remaining things in my car, and the dog, and we drove down. You said uh, you just touched on the recruiting. What? So, what are some big uh, Tulane real recruiting points? I know. I feel like you can almost kind of compare it to like a Charleston type type uh, school. Just you know, fun fun town in a warm climate. Yeah, you know it's you know seventy degrees here today in late November, and you know the the academics here are top notch. It's the top forty. You know, academic institution in the country. Really, um, the you know, it's actually very competitive to get into Tulane. Uh, for those that don't know, um, it, it attracts a very high caliber um, student that also wants to make sure they're in an environment where they can really enjoy their experience. And when people think of New Orleans, they think Bourbon Street, Mardi Gras, and that's not Tulane. Tulane is off in a residential area a few miles away from downtown. Now, you can take the streetcar from campus to downtown for $2. Um, only takes about 45 minutes. Um, and so, you know, it's not that you don't have the access, but it's not like you're right there in it. Hmm. So, you know, there's certainly a kind of older college vibe with a really beautiful campus when you're here. And if you want the big city feel, that's only a couple miles down the road. And so you can have a bit of, you know, best of both worlds with that. What's the uh, size of the student body? Uh, a little over 9,000 students. So a little bit on the smaller side? Yeah. Yeah, kind of small to mid. Um, certainly certainly nothing compared to, you know, a University of Texas or Wisconsin. Right. Um, where you're looking at, you know, 40,000, 50,000. Right. 
Um, so, but it's also going to be different than some of the schools in New England that might only have 1,500. So, yeah, and it's you know, it's going to come down to the type of person who wants to be in this environment is going to want to come to a school like this. You know, this is going to be a different experience in Stanford. It's going to be a different experience than the school in Boston. And, you know, to, to each their own, the opportunities are there. And, you know, fortunately now with this great push from um, the Alexander family, um, who are really been who really been instrumental with a lot of the um, you know, the the fundraising and donation uh, for this whole thing going forward. You know, if you want to be able to sail competitively at the highest level, you can come to Tulane and do that now. From from your end, then, is are you going to start? I don't know what the. I guess you would probably have a pretty good uh, nose for just working with Mitch. So. So often, but what's what needs to happen? If do you guys have any, you know, you don't even full. You're not even technically varsity status yet. Are you going to start trying to host some larger intersectionals or see if you can get some some uh, teams down there for like a spring break type practice? Yeah, I, yeah. I think we have to be careful not to overstep ourselves a little bit and overextend. Um, I think that'd be really easy to do and get our eyes just a little bit too bigger than they should be. And you know, I think early on it's going to be changing the culture a little bit that, you know, a lot of things were done simply in CISA before and everyone was happy about that. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the end of the day, if you want to get better, you have to go sail against better competition. And this spring will still be a club team. We don't go varsity until July 1 mm-hmm. officially. Um, and when that happens, you know, we'll be working with a, a much larger budget and be able to travel quite often. Um, but even this spring, you know, putting a schedule together now, already looking at you know pinpointing some specific events on the east coast that are going to help us uh, not only get better and more prepared for gearing up towards nationals this year but really helping the current team members kind of bridge the gap from where they are to where they need to be going forward and you know it'd be easy to say oh we're just gonna sit here and do the same old thing this year and then we'll just change it all next year but this part of the transition is every bit as important mm-hmm. so because I feel like this is also when you get everybody, you know, your your players, you get them kind of in the same mentality as you. Right. Have any other uh, CISA schools really reached out to you as far as, uh, I guess, like planning for the – because now, now that CISA does have, I guess, you're the, you're the first varsity program in the district, correct? Uh, I believe Texas A&M and Galveston. Galveston, okay. So uh, do, do, are they – supportive and now you know just trying to having obviously having more varsity programs will have will increase just the talent and ability in the district sure um yeah i wouldn't say that teams have really reached out yet um but it's also the season's now wound down there's no more sailing going and i just got here right uh, yeah and there's a you know conference meeting that every every ICSA conference has, it'll happen for us in January. Mm-hmm. And that'll probably be really my first time getting to interact with some of the team leaders from some of the other schools in the conference. And you know, it'll be different for them, probably having um, another coach who's going to be very active. Um, and I'm sure there might be some hesitation there as well. But you know, at the end of the day, if if we can make CISA stronger, then that's going to make Tulane stronger also. Mm-hmm. So. I'm all for anything that's going to make the conference better. Right. So. And then that would um, – <clears throat> how many berths do you guys have for uh, 
for semifinals? Two or three? Uh, I, I believe we have two for co-ed. Okay. And then team racing, you get one, I believe, or two? Yeah, it's one for all the others. Gotcha. Cool. And, and team racing isn't something that's been done much here in CSA. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems that you know, teams might practice it a little bit, maybe go and do a regatta, and then come back for a qualifier and just try and make it happen then. Um, you know, we'll do some team racing this spring for sure, but going forward, you can certainly expect to see Tulane going to team racing events and really trying to be right there with the best in every discipline. Right. Yeah, you know, that's not going to happen overnight, but we're not going to sit here at home when there's good events to be had out on the road. Right. Definitely. So what what's on your uh, recruiting calendar? Are you going to go to the you start going to the junior events like the Orange Bowls and start uh, getting some face time with some of the top youth sailors, or do you have a, a real plan for that, or you don't, do you not want to spill all your secrets yet? Yeah, I don't want to spill everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I've been fortunate to have been to some youth events over the last couple of years, and so know some of the players out there already. Um, but you know, I'll be. I'll be at the uh, SUNY Maritime College Night on December 1st. I'll be at Orange Bowl. I'll be at Rose Bowl. Um, I might go to a couple other events in the spring um, and uh, certainly look to go to events where people are going to be. Um, early on, you know, it takes a while for word to get out that you know Tulane is now a varsity program, what that really means, what the difference is. Because you go to some of these college nights and you – hear some of the team members from other schools get up and they try and express that, you know, their team can be competitive too. And sometimes that's difficult as a varsity program where you know that there's a huge gap between those true club programs and the true varsity programs. There's nothing wrong with being in either one, but to say that they're similar, they're competing at a similar level is not very accurate. And so being able to get out there and, push the message that we're going to something higher is really important early on. Right. Cool. Oh, I got a one, one, one more question for you. So I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big college sports guy and, and I love like the weird mascots, the Tulane, uh, the Tulane green wave. Like you ever, have you seen him on campus yet? He's got that like weird, it was like a big, just like a big gigantic foam wave with like a face. Yeah. The angry wave. Uh, they call him, (laughs) they call him Gumby. Gumby. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think a few decades ago um, there was a mascot dressed up in a green suit, and I think he looked a little more like Gumby than uh, an actual wave. <laughs> and somehow that stuck. But uh, you know, they brought the logo back, and it's been a huge hit. People uh, really love it. That's fun. And so you know, we're we're all about the angry wave. What's um, maybe one one more question here that I don't know might might be a little bit just because you're so new to the program, but. Are there still effects in the uh, in the Tulane like community following Katrina? Uh, certainly, um, you know maybe not so much in the Tulane, but obviously in the New Orleans right. area. It's, it's taken this long to be able to get some of the construction needed done in the Municipal Yacht Harbor, where our Southern Yacht Club is and where our facility will be. It's taken this long just to get some of the red tape moved and sure. the funding to be brought in to be able to really get some of this stuff done. Um, you know, in Tulane, you know, I think Troy touched on this in his interview that, you know, they had to cut some sports after Katrina and it's taken them a long time to bring some sports back in and also balancing out the title nine implication. And 
you still see that. But at the same time, you know, Tulane, I think, leads the nation in, um, you know, you know, outreach and volunteering uh, with its student body. And I think you see that with the alumni as well. And so I think there's been a massive amount of support in recent years from alums and people in the area who want to give back to really help bring the region back to where it was and advance it forward. And you certainly see that here at Tulane. There's a lot of renovations going on, new buildings going up, plans for new buildings. And you know, I think the campus is really healthy and it's a great place to be. Yeah, I mean, I I've only been to New Orleans once, and I just had a I loved it. I definitely want to go back as soon as I can. And uh, now now that you're down there, might have another reason to get down there. <laughs> Come on down. Yeah, um, cool, Charles. Well, it's over the. It sounds like you've been getting several interviews over the course of several emails over the course of this interview. So um, I'm sure you <laughs> yeah. got a, you got a you got a program to build. So we're gonna go ahead and let you go. But I uh, really appreciate it. And anytime you want to pop back on to talk more Tulane, uh, more than welcome to come back. Love to. Thanks a lot. Great. Yeah. See you, Charles. Take care. Bye. Bye. Quick break between the interviews to let you know about my friends over at Solid Sun Logistics. Solid Sun Logistics specializes in skin care and UV protection for outdoor enthusiasts like you and me. Solid offers a complete three-step skin care system to keep you on the water all day, day in and day out. Use any of the products individually or get the essentials kit for the complete sun protection and skin rehabilitation experience. Solid's products are chemical sunscreen free, safe for kids, very water resistant, and packed with natural ingredients, just to name a couple great things about the product. Solid also gives 5% of all sales back to an ocean-based nonprofit that you, that's right, you, get to choose at checkout. Plus, all my listeners right now will get up to 50, will get 15% off all orders with the code BNP15. That's the letters BNP15. So stock up for your next day on the water with Solid. Check them out at www.solidsunlogistics.com. That's www.solidsunlogistics.com. And don't forget to use promo code BNP15 at checkout for 15% off all orders. Solid Sun Logistics. Think solid, be solid. All righty. So we're joined now by Dylan Pava, the assistant coach at the Naval Academy. Dylan, uh, been on the Episode, I think this is gonna be your third appearance on Boats and Pros, Dylan. So uh, you're in, you're in elite company as the only person I think that's done that, other than me. I'm the only person that's been on the podcast more than you. Uh, yeah, I think that I have um, three. Uh, this will be my third actually televised appearance. But uh, the as you may know, I was the first episode that you neglected to air. You were so the, had, the the lost the lost episode. Lost episode. Maybe we can have like. Yeah, there's a Chappelle show like The Lost Episodes. Yeah, and then we, we can do one. Day. Yeah, that'd be fun. Maybe like a little like on our our three year anniversary or something. We could. Uh, yeah, when you're all famous and stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, but anyway, enough about that. <laughs> enough about the last episode. So Dylan, uh, love chatting with you. You know, you're uh, you certainly always have a finger on the pulse for the collegiate scene, the collegiate sailing scene, and uh, I always love to hear what you have to say. Uh, granted, I'm a little bit. Uh, not as tuned in this year as I have been in years past. Uh, riding the high, though, certainly after last spring, uh, my Cougars swept it at the team racing and fleet racing at home. Obviously, Thanks, the, the fall season, the fall season went down as it did, um, but the spring season all seems to have a bit of a different feel. You know, the team racing element and the schedule seems to be a little bit more grueling than it would be in the fall. 
So uh, I don't know what what are you seeing down there at the uh, cooking over there in Mesa, Nisa, Sesa, and then you know some of the some of those West Coast teams. Uh, so it's a you know weird. If you care to, if your listeners care to look back, uh, God, I think it was probably this time last year. I did an episode with uh, Justin Assad. Oh right, after, yes. Yeah, uh, what changes were on the horizon for college sailing, and we've uh, we're now about to crest that horizon. So we've got. Uh, this spring season, we're going to have, <clears throat> at least in Mesa, we're doing something new. We're going to have a team race league. where uh, So if you want to participate in this league, you have to buy into it. It's a $1,500 buy-in per school. And automatically signs you up for five regattas. And uh, so you're going to get good ends, which is fantastic. Um, and it's going to be 12 teams in Mesa. And that, that money that you pay into the system is going to end up going towards paying for umpire expenses and uh, different things like that. So to try and make the, the regattas a little bit uh, more substantial and better. Are, are, these regattas, are these regattas going to be just Mesa League stuff? Or can, you know, like a Boston College, Yale, or Charleston come down and crash the party? There are two events that are going to be just Mesa at the very beginning of the season. But other than that... Um, their events are ones that you're already well familiar with, like the Graham Hall, the St. Mary's Team Race, the Zambecki, the Admiral Moore. So all those events are part of the league. We did have to kind of shift some berths around for uh, different regattas. So uh, unfortunately, Nisa and uh, and I believe Sesa as well had a couple of their berths cut for some events, which is you know less than ideal. But uh, uh, we did this for Mesa to try and make Mesa stronger in team racing and to try and make our system make more sense and. Uh, we're excited to see how it goes this first season. So is that going to be based off of the results of that league, determining who goes to nationals from your conference, or is there still going to be the Mesa team race qualifier? While we would assume that those same 12 teams in the league would be the, some of the, at least those would be the teams that we see at the nationals. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the way it's going to work, you're going to have a league standing, and at the end of the, the league, you're the, the top six teams are going to qualify for uh, uh, the conference championship, the Prosser, and then the, the next six teams are going to sail a, a last chance for about it to get into the final two spots for the team race qualifier. And then, so the Prosser is just so, a seven, eight-team event? And then from there, it's... Usually we get four into uh, nationals. We're not sure. The numbers haven't been published yet, but we're, we're expect, anticipating getting uh, four into nationals again this year from the Prosser. Wow, great. So, yeah, so six teams out of that, so the top half of that league and then the top two teams from that kind of uh, last last chance regatta. That was, that's probably going to be some fun yeah. team racing, high stakes down there. Oh, yeah, for sure. So it's, uh, so that's what we've got going on in Mesa. Um you know, the, the rest of the, the spring season for all of college sailing is fairly uh, normal. You know, everyone's right now, <clears throat> I know all the Mesa teams are getting on the water. Sesa teams have probably already been on the water for a week. Uh, I don't know if any Nisa teams are on the water yet. Uh, they are usually this week or a week behind, depending on how hard or soft their water is. Uh, I, uh, I haven't gotten any reports from the, our friends up north yet, but, you know, they're, they're never far behind us down here, so... Uh, everyone that I know is excited to get back on the water. They're tired of, you know, all the sailors are done with just going from class and 
you know, having nothing to do. Everyone's, everyone's ready. Yeah. As, as a coach, how's that challenge? You know, you in the, in the fall on the, with the ACCs and the single-handed nationals and match racing, if you qualify, so everyone's all jacked up, maybe walked away with a couple championships, and then you just kind of do nothing for two and a half, three months almost. Uh, how, do you keep, how do you keep your athletes you know, motivated? Some kids uh, do their own events, you know, like team racing over the, down in Florida or whatever they can get their hands on, and obviously going to the gym. Uh, but what, what are you doing as a coach to make sure your, your kids are going to hit the ground running in the, in the winter, spring? Yeah, so this is, um, uh, this, this is one of the areas where Ian and I have, uh, head, head coach Ian Berman and I have been trying to put a little bit more energy and uh, to try and keep the team together during the off-season through non-sailing-related activities. So we do, um, we do workouts uh, twice a week in the off-season, um, so the team still sees each other then. And uh, we also try and incorporate other non-sailing events like we do a fun gift exchange in december um we do like is a combination holiday party uh we also in uh just did a a team ski trip which was fantastic to a small little mountain um so try to do fun things like that to keep the team engaged that are in a you know non-competitive way that doesn't you know it's it's also a great opportunity to focus on people other than just the the starters on the team that really build the, the whole team up together yeah that's awesome, though. That's fun you guys do that. And then uh, from, like, a logistical standpoint, is that something the sailors are super motivated to? I, is like, do you guys have, like, a, like, does the team captain really step up, or is that something that you and Ian I'm, – I'm asking – I mean, it's obviously different from school to school because I know other schools have different, like, ski trips and things that they like to do. But sure. for you guys, do you run point, or do you guys say, hey, whatever you guys want to do, we'll, we'll support it and uh, have fun with it? We, we try and, uh, like, we have one member of our team, uh, a senior, Hamrick Morgan, who is, uh, we kind of dub him our social leader. So it's up, uh, we kind of put it on him to create these different fun events. And, you know, we'll certainly help with organization and uh, logistics, but, you know, we want it to be team-led and team-driven. Yeah. You know, we're, we, we may give him a gentle nudge every once in a while, but it's, you know, it's, it's really up to, to him. Gotcha. So what's, uh, from an actual... From an actual, uh, I guess, shifting quick focus real quick to on-the-water stuff, what, what's Mesa and just the rest of college sailing looking like this year? What teams do you think are going to be strong uh, come come nationals? I know it's always difficult to say now, and then you know maybe one team slips up at their conference qualifier or gets really white-hot as a solid nationals practice. But right now, who who's returning the starters? Who are we anticipating to see again, uh, You know, maybe in that top Final Four team racing at nationals? Where is Na- Nationals in Chicago, right? Ah, wrong. Nationals are in Norfolk this year. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we'll cut that part out. We'll cut that part out. So Nationals are in Norfolk. Who are we going to see the top four at uh, at Nationals? Yeah, that's, that, that's a really good question. I mean, so all we have to go off right now is last year's team racing results and uh, how everybody did in the fall fleet racing. And so, um, But in Mesa, the, uh, the, the best team in Mesa right now is uh, Hobart. Or William Smith. They, um, if you look at the the fall season and you take just their A and B division results, so like if you're at the the trucks, ignore C and D. If you're at the hatch brown, ignore the C. So just A and B, uh, they didn't lose a regatta. Really? And they're very very good. Um, both their their A and B uh, with Griner Hobbs and Hector Guzman are incredibly fast and disciplined and very good. Uh, sailors and their their third starter uh for team racing 
they're also returning from last year. So they're returning all three drivers uh, this year for team racing. So they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. They're, they're, they're going to be quite good. Are they sophomores or juniors? Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> their A division driver, uh, Griner Hobbs, is a senior. Uh, B division, uh, Hector Guzman, is a sophomore. And Charlie Miller, their third for team racing, or who we anticipate they're being, to be their third for team racing, is a junior. So okay. they've got uh, returning all three players uh, pretty strongly. So and so that's kind of who we're thinking is going to make it out of the Mesa district. Maybe you see them making some noise at nationals. What about Nisa? You think the Cougars are going to have any? I believe they're returning a lot of their players. Uh, and then there's always going to be one or two teams out of Nisa that uh, gets pretty hot there at the end. Yeah. So the the, the Cougs lose uh, Jack Cusick, which is you know certainly a big loss. <clears throat> but uh, you know they're. The country, I, no problem at, at all. Um, they've got uh, Augie Dale, who's uh, eligible this year, who's uh, uh, a fantastic sailor, very, very fast. Uh, they've got Christoph Killian, who's uh, a really, really good match racer and also a fantastic team racer. And then, of course, they've got uh, Stefano Prashira, who is you know, one of the best sailors in the, the country for college sailing and arguably the world. He just got done at the... Uh, the ISAF Miami Sailing World Cup, whatever they're called. World, world Sailing. It's, ISAF is no more. It's, I think it was the oh, right. World Sailing Gold Cup Miami was the official. Or my yeah, World Sailing not. Miami Gold Cup. Just just take five of those words, throw them on a chalkboard, and something will stick. Whichever one stick. Yeah. yeah. The event that was in Miami where all the boats were. <laughs> uh, I, I believe he just got a, a six there in the laser. It was pretty darn good. Um, from Nisa, uh, you know, You've got uh, Yale is always, you know, they've proved themselves to be a perennial powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, the the first time they'd lost in several years, the, the team race nationals, and they're, you know, I I can guarantee you that that uh, they're not sitting happy with that. No. So they're they're going to be coming out strong. They've got uh, returning several players. They've got a deep bench. They're going to be very very good. Um, BC is also going to be fantastic. Uh, Dartmouth's going to be quite good as well. You know, it's. Pretty much your your the, the the typical teams you would think of, um, you know. For Mesa, also don't want to leave out Georgetown and your you know Navy, of course. <laughs> yeah, your um, boy. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's you know, like I said, it's uh, it's still way too early to to even make a prediction for Final Four or who's going to win the national championship. You know, we got to get we got to see some spring regattas first where we can start talking like that. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's always tough to predict. I mean, like it is with any sport, you can say something and then. Yeah, just all about who's clicking at the right time and who can get hot at the right time. People thought the Patriots were going to win the Super Bowl, like, easily. Yeah. You know, that's that didn't happen. Um, earlier before we started recording, though, Dylan, you were mentioning that you were down in – We actually, we were talking about Miami, too. Uh, you were down there for, a like, a high-end uh, coaches conference. Uh, what t- what happened down there? What, what was that all about? Yeah, so this is something that U.S. Sailing, I know, has been trying to put together for a while now, for several years, kind of, like – you know, there's there's once you get to you know as far as the U.S. sailing world is concerned, your level three coach, which is your you know high end race coach, there's not a whole lot of training beyond that that U.S. sailing offers. So this was a uh, an attempt and a successful attempt to create an environment where some of the best coaches in the country come together, and uh, you know they have guest speakers that are. Uh, that are sailing specific and also guest speakers from outside the sailing world, uh, that can bring in knowledge and, uh, expertise. And 
so when I was there, it was there were a lot of kind of the who's who of college coaches. There were also a lot of uh, yacht club coaches. Uh, the, a lot of the Olympic team coaches were there, um, both speaking and uh, being a, a guest and just uh, watching the presentations. It was really cool, and it was great to see uh, all of the minds and all the great coaches from all the different aspects of our sport kind of meet together in one central area. What uh, discuss, what was what sort of things were discussed? Like any new clinics, programs, or what's the uh, what was your yeah. what, what were your two or three big takeaways from it? So my uh, my my biggest takeaway, my favorite speaker, and I, I would imagine he was probably everybody's favorite speaker, was the the keynote. He was the first speaker of the the whole uh, shebang. His name was Josh Lifrak, and he was the director of mental skills for the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, appropriate because the, the Cubs had just won the, the World Series. Mm-hmm. And he had, uh, he had taken over as that, with that role, I think, two years uh, before they won. I think he took over in 2014, and they won the, the pennant in 16. If mm-hmm. I, if I 2016. that correct. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, he had a lot of great things to, to say about how, uh, you know, the, the mental game was, you know, incredibly important and, when he came in, he helps to change the the mental aspect of the team and really build up the team as a whole, and uh, how that helped contribute to their overall success and ended up, you know, winning the uh, the World Series. Um, so he was he was fantastic. Um, we also had uh, the coaches from College of Charleston, your alma mater, uh, gave a, a talk about how they were able to build success with their program. So Ward, Mitch, and Greg Fisher were all up there, which was cool. Um, we had a See the nutritionist and dietitian for the U.S. rowing team, uh, Liz Fusco, I think was her name. Uh, she was actually a former college sailor herself, sailed for uh, URI, the Rams. Um, and uh, she talked about how to, you know, find the the right fuel for your athletes' bodies and uh, how to encourage them to eat the right things and how it can really help find uh, success in their performance. Uh, let's see. Uh, I guess those are those are my three things. Those are the, the the three greatest things I got out of it. And there there was also a lot of great technology stuff. Uh, the guys from Waterlust came and did a talk. Um, There's some great talks from uh, U.S. Sailing Olympic coaches. Uh, it was it was it was fantastic. It was a really really great event. I uh, I hope U.S. Sailing does it again next year. This is my plug. Uh, so talk to Stu Gillifin at U.S. Sailing uh, if you want to make it happen again. You want to go back. And so this was the first time that they did it. Uh, to the I believe it had been done before, but not in uh, over 20 years. So it's the first time in, you know, I, I think I can firmly say it's the first time in my life that it's been done. <laughs> well, it's great that they're taking that initiative to, uh, you know, really try to take it, especially all you coaches, so many great coaches out there, uh, really try to take you guys, how you can all get together and collaborate and share ideas and take it all yeah, to the next step. There's more. <laughs> <laughs> Big dogs got to eat. So uh, a couple other things we want to talk about, uh, you know, talking about what the kids are doing these days, you know, at all these like events and stuff. We were talking also before we started our recording, just sailing fashion, Dylan. Sailing fashion has always been uh, interesting because, you know, you look at the old pictures from, you know, the 70s and 80s, you pretty much see people wearing jeans out there on the water in some of these pictures and they have these ridiculous, brightly colored, you know, smocks that don't really even look like spray tops that we that we all know and love today so you you have, a, you have a finger on the pulse i'm a little bit retired from the college game obviously i uh, don't sail as much as i 
My new, I don't have to. I don't want to have to wear a dry suit anymore when I sail. I actually don't own one, and so I never. You live in California. Well, I know, but even if somebody's ever like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna do this event. We'd love for you to sail with us." Pack a dry suit. I would just say no. Um, I do have a spray top and spray pants, but they're sitting up in the corner of my closet right there, just outside of the picture here, uh, that I don't intend to touch for quite some time. Um, but yeah, so what are what's what's the kids wearing these days? I'm sure if I were to roll up with what I had, uh, kind of maybe get laughed out of the laughed off the dock. Yeah. Well, so uh, you know, <clears throat> I uh, I initially made a list of what's cool and what's not cool, uh, but. <laughs> I had to kind of change that because there's, you know, there's one thing on my list of what's cool. It's definitely not cool, but it's, it's, it's in and it's popular and that's what people are doing. So I had to, I had to change it. So well, we got a list no, of what's in and what's not. Well, I want to know what that thing not is cool. that you deleted. Well, I'm building suspense. Oh, great. Okay. Sorry. Uh, You're better at this uh, than I am. <laughs> so, uh, uh, the, uh, snapback hats or trucker hats still very in. Those are cool. Cool. Um, the uh, the tech hoodies like Patagonia makes a sun hoodie that's uh, super in, and a lot of other schools have uh, some Nike ones that are cool. Those yeah. are really nice. Uh, I have a couple myself; they're fantastic. I, I would credit um, uh, uh, Yale coach Zach Leonard for really bringing those into fashion. He was the first person I think I ever saw wearing that, like in college at an event. It was like a really warm. I think it might have been like nationals in Texas or something. It was super hot, and I see Zach wearing what looks like a sweatshirt to me. I'm like, how are you not just scalding right now, Zach? But uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe he's like secretly been developing product or is a model for Patagonia. He could I, be. I have no idea, but I'd, I'd be happy to spread that rumor. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, and uh, the uh, so the, the last thing that made my list of what's in, but is definitely not cool, are uh, are buffs. So those are like the really really thin material that you put over your. You know, it's it's basically just a sleeve and like a sock with no end for the toes, and you slip it over your head and your neck. And you know, some people wear it. So that they cover their whole face. Some people put it like over the top of their hat. Um, but, you know, it's great to keep the sun off you. You don't need to wear quite as much sunscreen. It's great. Um, but they're definitely not cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because one of the last times I umpired a team race event, it was an event, I think it was the Bob at Charleston, uh, or maybe like Sesa Champs. I forget exactly what it was. But I was umpiring and this kid was wearing a buff. And he was just like yelling at his teammate or trying to communicate something, trying to communicate to us, the umpire. But it just sounded like he had a sock in his mouth because he had a buff over his mouth. It's it's like, dude, I'm sorry. You're (laughs) you look like an idiot. So, yeah, I see why those would be popular from a, you know, sun protection standpoint. Um, But, yeah, not the most practical uh, piece of equipment. Yeah. You also just look silly. Yeah. Anyway. Right now, what's uh, so? What's definitely not in are uh, neoprene boots. I haven't seen anybody wear a pair of neoprene boots in a very, very long time. Like, like zip neoprene boots. Uh, yeah, like zip up or uh, or like you know, some people do like the the Zyke had those that had like the the tie around, like the lace up ones. So what I have, I'm I'm leaving the yeah, camera. Show, show, me what, show me your footwear, bro. Yeah, this, so this is bad. This is bad. Uh, this is bad podcast because you guys can't see this. So when everyone was get, so my first pair of boots in college was the Eggly uh, lace ups that you know was like part of the college sailing uniform. It felt like if you remember those. Um, oh, yeah, so I had a pair of those, and then those burned out. And so what I did, instead of getting another pair, I got the I, the Eggly zip-ups just because they're a little bit different, you know? These are classics. They're a little bit gray with some navy blue and neoprene on the inside, but uh, definitely zip-up. Um, oh, the zipper still works, thank goodness. Uh, 
But yeah, so so you say this this would not be in vogue today? No, that that, that would still be in vogue because that, that's like that still is you know, pretty much like a waterproof boot. The, the, so that's that's what's in now is the waterproof boot, or really the shoe. I think most people have switched to a sand shoe now as opposed to a boot. I think that that's the uh, that's kind of what where things are going. Yeah, I have a pair of uh, Adidas ones. They're actually I left them at my parents' house, um, so they're not here. But yeah, like the little like they look like sneakers, like Vans, but they're they've got like drainage holes in them. They're fantastic. Um, so the other thing I got that's uh, <clears throat> and you know I very I might get vilified by Nisa here for saying this, but uh, I, I remember in college when we were in school. The uh, the flannel with spray pants was like <laughs> I had to wear Aigley's flannel and spray pants, and that was it. And I have not really seen the flannel very much recently, so I think the flannel is out. We uh, <laughs> that might be a look that we might have mocked a couple times. Not not a mocked is the right word, but we we would rock it down in Charleston for some of our practices. Uh, one of our larger oh, the, the one of our larger male skippers. Too. Would, uh, who, who will remain nameless, but you can probably know who I'm implying. One of our more portly fellows, a uh, friend of the program, uh, would rock that on a pretty frequent basis. Yeah, well, the, the, I mean, y'all can't really, you don't have a leg to stand on for style necessarily. The, the Charleston style, if I remember, was to go to Walmart and find an ugly texture with a giant cat on it oh whether it was a or a cougar or you know yeah yeah so that was kind of a thing we'd stop at uh up up 95 at uh epic kenley uh and just take you know we're getting some food gas or what have you and take a take a waltz through their clothing department i still have it's in my closet somewhere i don't want to have to dig it up but it's sick it's a tech shirt but it's a picture all like all the same thing it's not like just like a frame or anything it's like the entire shirt's just this one big picture of a bear eating a salmon out of a river like, I'm sorry, is that just not, like, A, cool, B, inti- intimidating, you know? I roll up, we roll up all in our, okay, yeah. well, saying it now, but <laughs> looking back, it's a little stupid, but at the time, you know, as a 21-year-old, whatever I was, uh, 20-year-old fashionista, fashionista, yeah, yeah. what about, uh, what about headwear, are poofball beanies still cool, or is it more like the slick? you know, tighter caps. Uh, the, I think it's more popular to have the, 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 the slick beanie, but there are a couple people that do the poofball beanies mm. and, you know, those are, uh, you know, they, they certainly stand out in the crowd. Yeah. Trying to make a statement, you wear the poofball beanie. Uh, I was definitely a big poofball beanie guy. What about uh, the color schemes? People like to go, you know, like grays and navies or do, I had a, I love I, one of my things up there. It's a, I had white spray pants and then uh, the neon yellow spray top from Slam. Um, Really, really oh, yeah. popped. And yeah, it, the over early. Yeah, well, no, it's helpful for them for the coaches, for Howie Cromwell, when he's trying to see where we're at in the water, you know, could, he could see where we were. Or if I fell overboard, I could be easily identified. Sure. As, uh, as Chicken says, uh, safety third. <laughs> What's first and second? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Is that the joke? Okay, wow. Thank you for... Glad, good, go me, getting the joke right off the bat. <laughs> Safety third. Oh, man, well, that's, no, that's helpful, Dylan. That's, that's good insight, uh, you know. Because living in California, I will say, like, teens, the teens are scary. Like, if you see a group of, like, 15-year-old kids, like, you know, they look all cool, like, their flannels and skateboards and whatnot, like, I- I'm going to walk the other way. They're going to bully me. They're going to make fun of me. 
They're going to comment on me somehow, and it's going to—it's terrifying. Yeah, you need a—we uh, need, we need to get you like a bodyguard or something, Brooks. Uh, I don't even know. It won't harm me physically. It's just you know the mental games. It's like it sucks seeing all these kids. It's like wow, all of these kids are so much cooler than me. Uh. And living in freaking Santa Monica, LA, it's just like they're—they're they're in abundance. I live. I live right near a high school, and you see them walking around all the time. It's like, oh, God, the youth. Are you, are you allowed to be that close to a high school? We'll cut this part out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was afraid you were going to make that joke after I said that. Um, all right, Dylan, well, uh, <laughs> thanks for the fashion advice and what we have to look forward to in the uh, college season coming up here. Anything else you want to say before you, uh, before we let you go? No, thanks for having me on, Brooks. Uh, glad to see the podcast is uh, back up and running. And uh, I'm going to definitely spread the rumor that uh, Zach Leonard is a fashion model. So, yeah. You know, oh, also, fun fact about Dylan, he's probably the league leader in uh, purchase of T-shirts for Boats and Pros. So, uh, Dylan, you want to speak for the quality of the T-shirts while I have you here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, the, the If you have not seen the newest design, then you must have been living under a really, really nice rock. But... The, uh, the new B&P design is one of the coolest things out there, and I highly recommend the, the pocket tee. It's uh, not quite as colorful, but it's, I think it's a little classier. And then if you want to make a statement, you can wear the, the white tee with the, the colorful design, the big logo. It's, it, you can't go wrong with either one, really. I have both. I wear them often. Uh, they're starting to get a little bit worn, unfortunately, so I might have to make another purchase soon. But uh-huh. I highly recommend them for yourself or a gift. Because I you're... gave one to my mom. Because you're such a loyal customer, giving them to your family for Christmas, uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll send you a couple more. Just because I know you're one of our chief brand representatives, our chief brand ambassadors. Um, you know, it's also cool, like you know, seeing people's Instagrams and like you know, oh, they're wearing my shirt. It's like cool, <laughs> it's fun. Um, all right, Dylan, we're gonna go ahead and let you go, and uh, yeah, best of luck this upcoming season, and we'll get you back on soon. All right, thanks a lot, Brooks. Again, both of those interviews were brought to you by Solid Sun Logistics. Uh, Be sure to check them out, www.solidsunlogistics.com. Don't forget about that promo code, BNP15. That's BNP15 for 15% off your order. Uh, We're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. A little bit longer than normal, but uh, that's all good. Glad to be back. BNP is back and kicking, and we'll see all of you next time. Oh, and don't forget to buy a shirt. If you want a shirt, uh, let me know, and we will get it to you ASAP. Bye-bye.